Hello and welcome to Over a Third. We're an Australian netball podcast on the Edge of the Crowds podcast network. Uh, my, my name is Sarah and today I'm joined by Dan and Ellie. How are you both? Great to be back at live netball again. I've certainly um, missed it. So yeah, this weekend was super fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm going pretty well. I had a great time at Team Girls Cup. Watched a lot of really good netball. A little bit of not so good netball, but we won't talk about that so much. But it was great to be back. The crowd was really deafening by the end of the weekend, particularly that final. It really sounded like a full crowd and a home and away match. I want to know, was the Vixens crowd louder louder when they were playing or was it similar for the Collingwood or was it clear Vixens? So it was Vixens, then Collingwood, then everyone else. (laughs) Um, it was very clearly a Victorian crowd and very clearly a Vixens of crowd. Yeah. But in the final, when it was Vixens fever, anytime the Vixens <laughs> had a turnover or hit a super shot, it felt like the place was shaking. Yeah. What, who was the most cheered for team out of all the others, regardless of the Victorian teams? Oh, Ellie, what do you think? I don't know. I think it, it was more players than teams yeah, right. yeah. outside of that. So. Shamira Sterling, always a loud cheer. Danelle Wallum brought the house down. Uh, the Sunshine Coast Lightning got a pretty good cheer. Um, KD <laughs> in particular as a you know, former Vixen. Former Vixen, yeah. Um, so, you know, it was pretty cool to see, but um, I'm sure that as we get into the home and away season, the Sydney and Adelaide and Queensland and Perth crowds will be happy to remind everyone that they are just as loud as the Victorians. Definitely. And what was your favourite match from the weekend? What pair, what combination of teams going up against each other? Which was your favourite match to, to watch? Good question. I'll throw to you first, Dan, while I have a think about <laughs> it. I, I, there's a reason I took a, a sip aside to not answer this first. <laughs> um, I think my favourite match to watch was the Swiss-Giants on yep. Sunday in the first match. Partly um, it's a grand final rematch and partly... Those two teams don't like each other all that much. And both, you know, it might be a match for seventh place in the Team Girls Cup. No one wants to lose that. Like, not to not to the other state team. Um, and there's plenty of, like, blood in that crosstown rivalry, even though neither team was anywhere near full strength. And we'll get to that, you know, later on. But the, the rivalry there was, was pretty close to the grand final in terms of intensity. Yeah, for me, I don't remember how close the score was in the end, but um, it was the Thunderbirds fever on Saturday morning. Um, I just, yeah, it was such a great game of netball to watch and it was so much fast paced. You had the likes of Chelsea Pittman and Verity Simmons running the middle for the the fever. And then you had um, Hannah Petty, Taylor Williams, Maisie Nankerville and... I really loved watching the um, small shooting circle of Timber Dwan and Georgie Horges. We did get to see that one. In that matchup, we had both sides going with the small, I say small shooting circle because the fever went without Janiel for about half the match. Um, And it's crazy to think that Sasha Glasgow and Alice Dignil did the small circle. But, (laughs) um, you know, by comparison, they really are. Yeah, I really enjoyed that match as well, um, if for nothing else but Chelsea Pittman taking over the mop. Um, it was a hilarious <laughs> point in the match as well. Um, but, yeah, no, so that was a that really was good match. Every time, every time they brought the mop out over the weekend, there was a cheer. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and the I'm crowd sure announcer gonna... was getting into it, you know. 
Welcome to the mops. <laughs> yeah, I was so close to tweeting on this. I think I sent it to our chat. I've never seen that much um, fanfare over a mop until <laughs> um, until today. But yeah, it was just insane to think that the um, mop could um, cause so much fanfare. But yeah, it was great. I, <laughs> the whole lead up to the whole mop, uh, a mop brand being the uh, sponsor and like you know having its own little segment almost in a match. Um, it's going to be hilarious to see throughout the year. I'm sure each crowd's going to love it. Um, but we should get into some netball. Um, we've touched on it a little bit uh, with your takes from um, your experiences being back at live netball this weekend but let's start with the team as you say Dan came last but hey it doesn't really matter because they had a fun weekend. I mean yeah this team were incredibly upbeat on the way home um, at the late hour after a delayed flight because you know nothing went right for the Swiss over the weekend. Oh you even had a delayed flight. <laughs> yeah we had a, an hour Great. almost an hour delay on the flight on the way home. Great. Um, but I think for the Swiss, they came in, I mean, they came into the weekend basically writing it off with most of their training partners in isolation for COVID, their coach in isolation for COVID. And then things just got even more. I mean, I, I think at some point I said that they were going to throw in the towel, except she's playing goal shooter. Um, because they were down to, I mean, without Housby and then eventually without Bully either, they really were down to what was it eight players and uh two of them coaching like they were the swiss came in with no depth some you know their their lead shooters missing and the fact that kelly singleton who has i think it's a grand total of two super netball games under her belt was the experienced shooter in their <laughs> circle says That's... everything you need to know about how the swiss took this weekend and i think that for them it was knowing that they can get through anything that this season throws at them because nothing will be thrown at them that is worse than that. It might be the same, but it won't be worse. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, Kelly Singleton, she held her own in the goal circle and she really did lead it well. And I really loved that combination, but it was not the one they wanted on court this weekend at all. Yeah, if we see that combination again, I think the Swiss will be quite concerned. Yes. Not because of the capability, but what it's meant to their squad. I mean, the, the big risk for the Swiss is that there's a chance that this happens throughout the season and they've got seven players across two households. There's oh. a, a real chance. I mean, so we've got Cloud, yeah. Proud, Turner and Ali Smith living in one house. And I think it's uh, Tegan O'Shaughnessy, Kelly Singleton and must be someone else living in another house. That's tough. I mean, that's a serious risk. If one of them get COVID, I mean, it, admittedly, the whole Proud house has had COVID now. Yeah. Um, but if one of them get COVID, I mean, that's three, possibly four players out for a weekend in a flash. Because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're super cautious around training and stuff. They have to enter with masks. They, you know, limit the time that they're in a close environment where they don't have masks on, other than obviously taking the court against each other. But that you forget that so many of them aren't living in their home state. They're living with their mates who happen to also be their netball teammates. Like it's... It's the same here in Adelaide. I'm sure it's the same with a lot of the Melbourne girls as well. Um, and it, it is the same at the Fever. So it's it could become a real problem. We could see half a squad wiped out. <laughs> Let's <Yeah>. hope not. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I, I think um, one player I was quite impressed with over the weekend was Ali Smith, obviously making the move over from the Vixens. Um, 
I just loved her ferociousness around the ball and she was um you could tell um because she was in wing defense you could tell um when she was I was I was obviously taking photos and was sort of courtside behind the goals you could tell um how much of a pest she was um um every time she'd sort of like get the ball away you'd see the look on like Lizzie Watson and um Kate Maloney's face and they're like no I'm not happy with this I mean um <laughs> we'll get to it later but a lot of people got under Lizzie Watson's skin this weekend. I think she'd forgotten how much niggle there was at Super Netball because there were a few players who got under her skin. Yeah, but yeah, I'm just um, very much looking forward to seeing um, Ali Smith sort of be a serial pest for um, many wing attacks for um, the, the Super Netball season. Well, and I think we can pretty confidently say now that Ali Smith can cover five positions on the court for the Swifts. Because we've seen her in goal defense um, in practice matches. We know she can cover the midcourt. And the word on the street is that she was the backup goal attack for Sunday's match with Kelly Singleton and Laura Tao in the circle. So she was next in if something happened. Well, let's just say it's it's a good thing they never got to it. But we would have loved to see it because it's it's good to test out. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Like the housemate jokes. Can you imagine? (laughs) Maddie Pride would not be happy with that. No, <laughs> no I'd fully expect her to go off and um, rip the Velcro right off um, Ali Smith and go off just play that feeling spot for Even her Sarah Clow, I reckon, would do it. <laughs> she Especially would be happy in that circle, like in that particular match on the weekend, they were going up against Lauren Moore, who is mm. an ex-Swift. I mean, there's even more drama when you add that, you know, consideration into it as well. Yes, definitely. Speaking of Lauren Moore and her move to the Giants, Let's talk about the Giants, who became seventh only because they beat the Swifts on Sunday morning. Um, it was an interesting weekend. Do we have some takeaways from the Giants? I really loved Amy Sliger in wing attack. Um, I thought Good she call. was, yeah, I thought she was great. Um, I did like obviously seeing a lot more of Matisse Litherborough. Obviously, we didn't get to see her that much um, across the Super Netball season. Obviously, Julie went with the combo of Sophie Dwyer and Joe Harton for most of the season. Um, but yeah, and I really loved Lauren Moore and Tilly McDonald in defence of that combo. And um, I'm sure we're going to be saying it a lot this year, but I really loved seeing more Tilly time. I thought it was really interesting. Because as much as we saw Tilly time, what stood out for me for the Giants was what we didn't see over the weekend. And for me, two of their most important players are April Brandley and Maddie Hay. And we didn't see either of them over the weekend. I mean, Maddie Hay was, in my view, the MVP last year. She was the single biggest difference between her and her replacement um, across anyone in the league last year. There was no one else who could play wing attack for the Giants. And Amy Stigart is built like a brick wall. Um, she's one of the few people who can actually physically challenge people like Ash Braz and Verity yeah. Simmons. But she's not as familiar with wing attack. And we saw that because there were times where the circle spacing wasn't great, the feeding wasn't great, which comes with experience, but it shows you how much of a difference Maddie Hay makes. And I think that into almost the same level that the Swiss rode off the weekend, the Giants went, you know what, let's have some yeah. fun and see what happens. I don't think that's Julie's, like, the way she likes to take Not things. Not Julie, <laughs> sorry, but the, the players, I think. Went. The players, for sure. Um, they just had to take what had 
been dealt their way basically and run with it but yeah it wouldn't have pleased Julie that she had to deal with what she had to deal with um and perhaps how they were playing but she's she's made a habit of turning people into wing attacks um so I mean it's working I mean it's hard to say that Maddie Hay hasn't become one exactly. of the better wing attacks what I did find really interesting was after the last game of the weekend Joe Harton stayed out on court with Sliger and Price and Dwyer and Leather Barrett, and they were talking about spacing at the circle, mm-hmm. and they were talking about feeding, and they were demonstrating on court between the matches. Um, so obviously Joe wasn't thrilled with how that went over the weekend, but there is that leadership element, and anyone who was anywhere, you know, within ten kilometers of Parkville on the weekend would have heard Joe screaming at her teammates about yeah. getting into position throughout the match, but. She's got that softer side where she sits and actually coaches the players mm-hmm. to the way that she wants them to play. It's not just move, move, move. It's when I say move, this is what I want you to do. And this is how I want it to look like. And I think that the Giants will be better for that throughout the year. Oh, absolutely. Her The, the way um, we even saw it late last year when she she had such a younger team around her throughout last season and the way she spoke at the end of the year and the way the players spoke about her and just the direction that a player like Sophie Dwyer sitting out at goal attack, she doesn't really have to do anything except listen to Joe and do exactly what Joe says and, you know, things run perfectly. And she's not um, a mean voice. She's she's saying it because she wants the other player to get better. They, she wants it to work better for her, but also the other player. No, absolutely. It's a loud voice, but it's not a mean one. And we saw that uh, the Giants have been playing it up with the TikTok that is yes. floating around of Joe and Sophie that really seems to capture that dynamic between the two of them. I think I've watched that TikTok about five times. Yeah. It popped up several times on my feed. But one thing that hasn't changed um, for the Giants is Julie Fitzgerald. Um, you could still see, even though she had a mask on, you could still th- see like the daggers coming out um, at, at timeouts. So I'm like, yeah, other. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that circle when she's um, not very happy. I had a theory about um, Caitlin Bassett not feeling super comfortable in the circles throughout the weekend, and I attributed it to nerves, but maybe it was the fact that she was trying to wander into the Giants huddle at that point and didn't want to be there. (laughs) Because to be fair, I don't think anyone wanted to be in some of those huddles. They did not look like they were going to be fun. No, they need, they needed that. Was it like the boomstick where you can like stand like five feet apart, five feet away, and just like stick a mic there? You don't actually have to be that close and <laughs> risk your health and safety. Um, let's move on from the Giants and the Sydney teams. Uh, we'll move on to the next place team, which was the Magpies, Collingwood Magpies. They had an interesting start on Friday. They struggled. I think would be the right way to say it. Um, yeah. They didn't look all that comfortable out on court, to be honest. Um, and then it did improve as the weekend went on. Just, I don't know what went wrong, but it wasn't great. I think what changed over the weekend is that they stopped trying to do what we thought they were going to do, which was integrate Garvin and Nelson together. I mean, they tried having almost equal dominance in the circle on Friday. And it's fair to say that was uh, not good. Yeah. Um, that might be a way to describe it. But as we saw over the weekend, so when Shim was on fire, when Shimona was going, Sophie Garvin was just feeding her and Gabby Sinclair the same. And then when Shimona wasn't playing well, Sophie stepped into goal shooter and Shimona sat on the pine. 
I still don't think that Collingwood have worked out what they're doing in that attacking circle. And for that reason, I am quite concerned about them. I thought this weekend did not solve any doubts about that circle. And I think that this weekend says that they're one of the teams that needs a fair bit of work before Super Nepal starts. I have to agree. Um, the way the Thunderbirds just completely ran them off the court on the Friday night was just like... I mean, the Magpies weren't alone in that position. Um, True. The Thunderbirds were great. But Collingwood, to me, were unlike the two sides that we talked about already. Collingwood don't have a magic band-aid of a Maddie Hay or a shooting circle of Houseby and Wallace to come in. We saw the Magpies' best lineup over the weekend, and we didn't see it all the way through with, obviously... Jeeva and then Jody Ann out late. But that shooting circle is how it's supposed to be this year. And it was not ready for Super Nebel defences. I think one thing that um, Kelsey said at the Fox launch, Kelsey Brown, um, was that they physically spent their preseason working like on themselves. So um, I don't think, from what she was saying, they haven't had a chance to look at opposition. So I don't know if it was it didn't work or they, like, physically weren't expecting those teams to run them off the water. But, yeah, I think it's one of those things that with time, it's just they're going to have to gel together over time. And whether that means that they might not make finals this year or this season will be more of a learning season for them and then they can um, excel in 2023. That's the big concern for me. And Jackie Newton, after the weekend, also said that she expects there to be improvement as the chemistry builds. But mm. there's a long way to go for that. And this is a team that thought that with their changes, they were challenging for a premiership. I don't think, based on what we saw this weekend, they'll make finals, let alone challenge for a premiership. Oh. You're not alone in thinking that after the weekend. It was, yeah, I think after the weekend, everyone puts them at the bottom. Like, it's not good for them. Like, as Sydney and Giants, we look at, they didn't have their full teams. They didn't have some of their key playmakers. And they they chose to play as well, um, some other players. Collingwood just went in with pretty much what I would consider their strongest team. They had their, they had their 10 on Friday. I mean, that that is their side. That's... That's not maybe, that's who they've gone with this year. And you're right, Ash Braz got beaten on Friday. She got beaten by Amy Sliger. Mm. Um, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, and that's not to say that Ash Braz isn't one of the best wing defences in Australia. But it's not a good sign for this side. They're, I think they're in a bit of trouble this year. And she wasn't alone in being run off the court. We're not saying that no. she was the only no. one. But we're just like, as an example, she absolutely dominated the quad series. And two months later, really struggled against some Suncorp Super Nepal opposition. And whether that's at the fault of the entire team and their cohesiveness or whatever it was, and it's just um, not where Collingwood would have wanted to see themselves after the weekend, I don't think, at all. Um, and they've definitely got some some thinking to do over the next, it's only a month now. Yeah, I mean, to me, they were one of the big losers of the weekend um, because they came in with what they think is full strength and it didn't stack up. Yep. Uh, another team that had a mixed weekend, you could say, um, <laughs> is the Firebirds. They had some good parts yeah. to talk about, but some... 
challenging parts too. Off you go, Dan. Ellie's, Ellie's going to blacklist me for this, but I think the Firebirds were the other big loser out of the weekend because yeah, they, they came in with, <laughs> again, they came in, aside from Lara Dunkley, this was the strong mm-hmm. Firebirds lineup. Um, this was about testing. And this is not to say that Danelle Wallum didn't absolutely blow the doors off because she did. But this is a Firebirds team that at what we think is fairly close to full strength could barely beat a Swiss side that had literally one hand tied behind its back. Yes. And that, that to me should be a massive concern because I don't think that that's a side that can compete. The other thing with the Firebirds, um, they obviously have to take in consideration that they did um, sort of get attacked by COVID and due to that, they haven't had that much time on court together. Um, obviously... We know uh, Danelle and Lara had COVID, um, but we don't know sort of who else. But um, I think what kind of shocked me is when I spoke to Gretel last week at the Foxing, she only had two, she's only had two sessions up until that point with Danelle Wallum. And that combination, yes, it could use some work, but it was pretty good um, considering they've only had two sessions together. I'm not concerned at all about the Firebirds' ability to score this year. I think that with Gretel and Donnell, they're going to be able to score just fine. But I don't see them turning a lot of ball over in the midcourt, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to stop people. I mean, I, I know that they've only had a couple of sessions as a whole team, but the Fever had only had four, and they had a very different-looking weekend. I think we do have to think as well about the Firebirds and what we said about them after trade period and the signing period and um, even at the start of this year. And we've said we, we don't really know what to expect from them this year. They have had some massive changes to their team and uh, some changes that we still don't know who's going to replace Romelda um, after that was announced last week. So there, there is still a change to come potentially, and we we don't know exactly what this side's best lineup looks like. We don't know what its ten looks like even. So it's going to be um, a start of the season where they they're finding out who they are and how they are best to line up on court. And so I think, if I remember correctly, we we didn't say that they would be a really strong team this year. We didn't. Ex- no. We're not expecting the world from them. We do want them to compete, though, because we do want this to be one of the most competitive years of Suncorp Super Naples. So, no, absolutely. And one thing I will say is that despite those results, it was really clear being there physically in person that the Firebirds are a close knit unit, that they mm-hmm. are buying in together and they are a team and a unit together. And that was that was abundantly clear. Like this is not a team that is going to roll over and let teams win and split apart and fight each other. Um, they've definitely got that part of it down. It's just a question of whether they can actually pull it together on court. That's for sure. Um, let's move on to the other Queensland team because they finished fourth. <laughs> um, they had an interesting weekend and I don't think that their coach was particularly pleased from the from watching at home. And then she even travelled to Melbourne and I still don't think she was that pleased with what she had to go to Melbourne and um, coach. She wasn't happy at all. We They spoke to her many times in the broadcast and she was very frustrated by them. But um, they still did okay. They had some really good comebacks. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Kylie was particularly happy with the weekend. Um, but I think it's probably also fair if the Lightning players had something else on their mind, you know. 
or like the Firebirds, um, there's some serious issues at home physically for them with the flow. Mm, that's true. We hope that everyone is unaffected. Um, and it can't be easy to take the court, you know, with that playing on your mind. Um, but the Lightning, I thought, were pretty much what we expected. Um, I thought they delivered about what we expected. They weren't quite good enough to beat the, well, they weren't good enough to beat the Thunderbirds in the third, fourth playoff. But on the whole, they were really competitive over the weekend. What I took out of it was watching Riley Batchelor. Um, and I know that everyone is talking about Rue and I've been talking about Rue for weeks. So everyone's sick of me he hearing about it. But the way that she covers the court was what really struck me. She is effortlessly up and down into the center third. And I wouldn't be shocked if from time to time we see her at wing attack this year, because she's got the endurance ability to keep up. And it would mean that you could get her out on court along with Wood and Conan in what is a pretty lethal combo. That's interesting. I have not thought about her moving up the court, but she was, because she was so impressive in the golf circle. I don't take her she out of was, it. She was, but I mean, but, what are you going to do about your diamonds golf circle sitting there? Like I know. Already there? I know. Um, but yeah, she was impressive. I really liked seeing a lot more of Kate Walsh and Katie Ander Haney playing together. I think that's going to improve a lot throughout the season. Um, it's not perfect yet. They're still trying to figure each other out, but there was definitely... Um, there's a lot of coaching going on as well about where they were positioning and how they can best use that circle. So um, I think that there's room for improvement. I do think they'll challenge. They've got a really good lineup. Um, I just don't think we saw the best of them on the weekend. One thing I loved about the Lightning was just um, seeing their training partners. Obviously, they've got um, two replacement spots to feel for round one, obviously um, one will only be temporary due to the Tara Hinchcliffe um, coming back in the side. Um, but then you've got um, Carl Pretorius' spot that needs to be filling. And I was really impressed from what I saw from the likes of um, Bridie Condren, um, Maddie Hinchcliffe and Ash Uni. So I think um, it's going to be, a, it's literally going to be what they're looking for Um like what positions they're looking for because either of those either of those three can easily fill a spot yeah and I thought Annie Miller was actually really good um, I know yeah. I said it, I could see Riley playing the attack but Annie Miller's probably going to make the the backup midcourt spots her own um, if she doesn't get a starting spot because she looked really good she looked like she was well in concert with Cassidy and Sherry and um, she looked like she could work well with the goal circle with the defenders so I was actually really impressed. You know, an elevated training partner who's moved to another city, a whole new team, whole new setup. She looks like she's fitted in really seamlessly. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree with that. Um, I thought that while their starts weren't great, they were really able to pull it together in the second half of matches, which shows that they're still figuring out how they're best on court, their best lineups, um, how they can combine. Well, they need that extra coaching, I think, is what they benefited from, like those quarter time and halftime huddles where they could sort of reconvene and work out what wasn't working. Um, and then they were really able to lift it in the second half. So um, I think Kylie said it on the broadcast, she said, <laughs> they asked her, what has she liked this weekend? And she said, second halves, that's it. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting weekend for them. Um, they definitely won't be, you know, overly happy with it, but they will have a lot of things to take from it, which I think is part of the weekend. Like 
you don't want to win the pre-season cup you want to win the cup at the end so even though the pre-season cup was nicer looking than the one at the end but well, anyway. that's a controversial take we'll get to that another time <laughs> that's for the trophy podcast later in the <laughs> okay then um let's move on to the adelaide thunderbirds the surprise package of the weekend big winners of the weekend big yeah. winners third place Sarah- even as a long-time, long-suffering Thunderbirds fan, yeah. what do you take out of the weekend? Uh, I take out of the weekend that there is a lot more options and they're not uh, weak options in any respect. There is a lot of strong options to put in, um, especially the attacking end. Um, and I think that the Thunderbirds can be super aggressive in the attacking end this year, which will see a lot more conversion from turnovers, which is something that we have been longing for for about three seasons. Um, and I also take that they really know each other now. They really know where each other's going to be. And we saw that in this super fast ball movement. I Sometimes I lost where the ball was because they yeah. just moved it so quickly. So I thought it was really interesting. When they rushed, it still looked pretty average out on court. But yeah. when, if they picked up a turnover, when the first person who had it took half a beat, just to steady themselves and almost give everyone a synchronized start time. The ball moved incredibly quickly, incredibly crisply, incredibly accurately all the way down the court. So I think it's really important that they don't get too excited about those turnovers Mm -hmm. and take that half thing. You got three of them, take half of one just to reset yourself. And then everything unfolds beautifully. And I think that you were right about them knowing each other. That's the whole thing about not having as much turnover as they had in previous years in terms of the roster. They know each other better. They're more familiar. And we saw, I mean, Vladdy Wilson and Shamira Sterling looked great as a defensive duo. Dilly Garrett looked great whenever she was paired with either of them as a defensive mm-hmm. duo. That's a pretty strong back end. And in attack, we saw... The, our new favourite combination, uh, Georgie and Tipper in the golf circle. Um, can't believe Ariana picked that and was like, this is something I'd really love to see. And then we saw it in the first match. We saw it in the second match. We saw it in the third and the fourth match. And I was like, okay, this is actually something they're going to use. I really liked it. We didn't see it for long, but in the super shop periods, it's actually going to be something that the Thunderbirds can turn to. Yeah, um, I took out, two, I had like sort of two main takeaways from um, watching the Thunderbirds and it's the um, Jamaican goal circle is guaranteed to win, win um, the Thunderbirds ball back and that Tipper Dwan and Georgie Ford just circle means super shots because I think it was one, there was one period in the Friday night match where um, Georgie sunk a super shot, then like 30 seconds later, Tipper was there and then she was sinking one. So I think that's going to be a game changer for them. And I think um, they were my favourite team to watch over the weekend because um, the netball they produced was just so exciting. The thing for me is that we've forgotten how good Lenny's pot getter is. Mm-hmm. She was dominant at goal shooter this weekend. I mean, I know that she's been much maligned because there's a belief that she doesn't have the range to shoot from a long way away from the post, but with her split and her jump and her hold, she can stand under the post and shoot there all day and dominate doing it. I mean, she was brilliant throughout the weekend. And as much as there's excitement about the Horges Dwan circle, I'm so excited to see what Lenise does this year because I think that she could be second in the goal scoring charts by the end of the year, the way she played. 
Definitely. I was I was really happy with how she played. Um, really enjoyed watching that combination with Tipper. It's only had a few weeks, but it's it's looking like it could develop into something really, really strong. Um, I thought it was interesting who Tanya Obbs chose to go with in that goal circle for each game and the starting combination because we saw um, on the Friday and Saturday, the starting combination was very heavily Tipper and Lenise. And on the Sunday, I'm pretty sure that Georgie started there. And then moved out to wing. Tipper Sunday. started one game in there on the Sunday, or at least a couple of quarters on the Sunday there. But I mean, it, it does tell me that that's essentially an interchangeable spot and it just makes it so much harder to game plan against. So exactly. that's a really good sign because I don't think last year that was a strength, but this year it looks like it might be. And Georgie at wing attack, I thought she was really impressive. Um, I pretty sure she's the one that was actually against Braz on uh, Friday night. So to me, that's really interesting that um, she's made that move. She's got that endurance. She's looking really fit and really comfortable in that position um, and running pretty good ball and finding the goal circle quite nicely. And Anna Petty didn't give away as many offside penalties as we thought. (laughs) So that's also a good plus. Good plus. Um, The midcourt was also a good plus, the way they could um, switch it up. Really love seeing Kayla Williams in there so much. Um, and I thought that even a few other training partners really came in and um, it felt pretty seamless, which is really a really good thing, considering how much we've talked already about what COVID could do to teams this year. Um, and I, I don't think that there would be necessarily that many big issues with having to switch a few in. Lucy Austin was a little bit nervous, but that's it's her first. It comes to um, it. I mean, she got better as the weekend went on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I I think they've just announced today that they're going to play the Swifts next week. So I'm keen to get down and catch that one and see how they go against probably a healthier Swifts lineup with maybe a coach <laughs> that's not a player. I'd count on there be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, she'll be out of ISO by then. They'll be able to have her. Um, but, yeah, it was it was definitely – it was a positive weekend to watch. And I think you – you said it, Dan, on Sunday night. They're not getting ahead of themselves. They they don't believe that they're, you know, suddenly in the top four, but they they're happy with where they're at. They they've got positive thoughts about where they're at, um, and they know that there's room for improvement. But they also know that they're around the mark and that they can challenge teams. They've got a lot of confidence from it, and that's something we spoke about before the um, cup on the weekend. We said that how important it was for the Thunderbirds and a few of the other teams to find confidence in this um, and use it to find confidence in them in their lineup. So, yeah, really happy as a Thunderbirds fan, that's for sure. That's good. Okay, we get to the grand final. We've got the Fever up first. They unfortunately lost their first game on Sunday to lose the grand final. But what are our key takeaways from the Fever this weekend? Because they were pretty impressive. The Fever and the Vixens, to me, were the only sides more upbeat than the Swifts about the weekend. They, The Fever came in, and Dan Ryan said it after, they'd had four training sessions as a squad, and they had about five days' notice that they were playing Team Girls Cup. They really thought for about a... Up until about a week before, they didn't think they were coming. So this, is that because of the border change that yeah. they did stay there when, like, we yeah. can go? So Okay. Basically, when the borders open, they went, well, we can deal with three and a half days of quarantine. Um, so we'll come, but we can't do two weeks, obviously. Um, so Dan was saying that this weekend was about 
a fact-finding mission for us, basically. He was saying, you know, I want to learn how this team goes, what they do, what they can, what they can't do. He talked about the fact that just because they've had success before doesn't mean they're owed success and they'll necessarily succeed this year. So they have to work for it. And I think we can say that they're going to be successful this year because they were scary good after four sessions. They were. Uh, they were very good. Um, I really loved seeing all their combinations that they used, to be honest. Um, the goal circles, both ends um, were just, you know, super impressive to watch. Um, obviously that defensive goal end has been training together for a little while, even though they haven't been with the team, they've been in uh, some quarantine situations together. But um, I thought Rudy Ellis was surprisingly effective as a goalkeeper. Mm. I mean, she hasn't had a lot of time. I mean, Bruce and Ayang have been together for a few years and a couple of diamonds camps, but Rudy Ellis fit right in and the move to push Ayang out to wing defense looks good. Yeah, I definitely liked that um, that move out there. I think she her arms at wing defense is just like <laughs> you're not getting anything past that to the goal circle. You know who she really got under the skin of over the weekend Sunday, Ayang? Hmm. Lizzie Watson. Lizzie she was Watson. <laughs> another player who really got under Lizzie Watson's skin. Which is interesting considering they've just been in diamonds camp together and they're used to being teammates. It's probably but, like she um, knows what makes her tick and like how really to get under her skin. Yeah, that's going to be really beneficial. Um, what you were saying before about Dan Ryan, um, it's really interesting that he was sort of seeing it as a fact-finding mission and I guess he almost wants to see as well how they handle gameplay and how they handle timeouts and how the group dynamic is at those times because you can't replicate that training. No, and they also hadn't had any preseason exposure to other teams. They're not going to get any more now. Um, so it was really important. I thought the thing that scared me the most is that probably the two most effective mid-quarters for the fever of the weekend are people who are going to be coming into the 10 throughout the season but aren't currently in there in Zoe Kranzberg and Chelsea Pittman. And I thought Zoe Kranzberg, in particular, and Dan Ryan talked about her after the game. She's a calming influence on everyone. She mm -hmm. plays like the game is at half speed. She sees things. She doesn't get rushed or panicked, and she's going to be super valuable as a training partner coming in. And I don't think anyone was surprised by how good Chelsea Pittman is. I mean, she's an English rose. We know, like, was anyone surprised by how good she was? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. She doesn't get called into a Roses training camp at the start of the year if they aren't seeing something, if, you know. And Dan Ryan must have just been on the phone being like, mm, she good? And they would have been like, mm, she's ready. She could play. She could slot in at any point. Um, well, and The other thing we know she can do is she can manage the mops if we need anyone to do that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that too. <laughs> she's ready. But let's hope that that's not her role. And that her role potentially is on the court, actually playing wing attack as well. Um, and I, I think the way she moves the ball really actually complemented the other Fever players out there. And I think without probably doing a single training session with them, because I know she flew out from Adelaide, Chelsea was not in Western Australia though. Oh, really? Because Dan said the full squad. So he, he must have met only the 10, not even all the training players. Well, she held a... Uh, garage sale the saturday before well, and i know for a fact moving to perth so <laughs> yeah but i know for a fact that she was in south australia a week before and i know for a fact that we can't get over there 
that's wild right now so yeah she she can't have unless they were in melbourne well before which we know they weren't because they weren't at the fox launch so yes. chelsea slotted right in with wow. nothing wow how good that should scare everybody but I the mean, thing is she's not in their tent so they need something to happen for her to be in there. I am happy to stake a, an awful lot of anything that we will not see just the 10 players play for each team this year. I think we're going to see a lot of training partners and I will stake whatever you want on it, you know. <laughs> yes, I and she's one I'm very keen to see out there and um, thriving in the green dress. It's not pink, it's not in Adelaide, but it's fine. She can She can thrive. I thought other than that, I mean, the fever ticked all the boxes this weekend. Mm -hmm. The only concern that I have is that they, again, failed to close out a big game. It was a problem under Stacey Marinkovic. And I get that Dan Ryan hasn't had a lot of time to train them and to do that kind of mental stuff that you have to do late about late in games. But that's been a proven Achilles heel. And it's just about the only Achilles heel that the fever actually have. And if they can't fix that, it's going to get them again this year. I have to agree that that is their only problematic area um, and it's definitely something that they need to sort out over the next little while because they're going to find themselves, I say with confidence, in the finals and they need to have a plan for when it's tight and it's, you know, five minutes left because whatever was happening on the weekend, again, wasn't it? And we saw it happen um, end of last year. We've seen it happen time and time again. Again, um, over the past few years, they've been one of the best teams, um, but they haven't been able to close it out. So that's what makes them not the best team, um, which, you know, it's it's something that I've got to work on. And maybe Dan is the difference. Maybe his work, you know, got some things happening, um, thinking it over, and maybe it will be the difference. That was the only box that they didn't tick over the weekend is how to handle those close, high-pressure games. Everything else that the field did over the weekend was great. Definitely. One team that did know how to close out a match was the Vixens. They, they impressed. Um, they really impressed. <laughs> I think they also thrive from a home crowd and being all back together and um, all of that. But I actually loved seeing, and I know that you guys will get onto the shooters, but I loved seeing Weston and Mannix back at their best because last year was not their best. Yep. This was better. It wasn't even Weston and Mannix that I was most excited about. It was Liv Lewis. I mean, yeah, she's she someone we didn't see a lot of at the Fever. For obvious reasons. I mean, with a Diamonds defensive goal circle, I get why we didn't see a lot of her. But she made such a difference. I mean, her goalkeeper allowed us to see what we've seen at the Diamonds with Weston pushing out to wing defence. And it looked scary good. I mean, that defensive end of Lewis and Eddie and Mannix and Weston in whatever combo they were in, was good. It was effective. It won a lot of ball. It slowed teams down. And I mean, that that actually to me was much more impressive than the shooting end, which of course gets all the headlines. Yes, for one reason and one reason alone. Ellie, would you like to talk about why? <laughs> that was mean, Sarah. You could have thrown it down about anything else. One thing, one thing that was interesting is that actually, I know we thought Samerson was brilliant from Super Shop, but she was actually pretty much average so the average for the weekend was 61 percent super shot accuracy samerson was at 63 she wasn't actually as far ahead as everyone and 
it felt like, and I can tell you sitting there, it felt like every time she got the ball in this power time, it was a super shot and a win. It felt like that. But actually looking back even, at the numbers, it wasn't. But it wasn't even just in the power time. It was the yeah. entire match when I felt like every time she got the ball, she was just going to put it through the hoop and that was all that was going to happen. So she talked about that after the final and such. She said, you know, this is my normal range. I shoot from the two because that's when I shoot, like I shoot from there anyway. I'm not faced by it. And I want it to be so automatic that even when it is power time or the power five, it doesn't feel any different and the shots still sink. And I thought she was good, but I'm not sure how much of Samuelson we're going to see during the season because I would hate to be managing minutes in that Fixon's goal circle this year. I just we're going to see it a bit though because Kira Austin isn't coming back for a few weeks. So we're going to see it a little bit. I just love almost not carefree. I don't think that's the word, but um, yeah, she's, she sinks those shots with such ease and like her face sort of doesn't change and she's sort of unfazed. Talking to um, a few Vixens players in the past, um, they've said that's just her. She's so cool, calm and collected um, that, yeah. But another thing is how cool is it to see Lizzie Watson back in the um, Navy dress? Um, it's been... I think the last the last time she stepped out on court for the Melbourne Vixens was the grand was the twenty twenty grand final, and it looks like she hasn't put yeah. it for the other place. Before we get to Lizzie Watson, I the person that Samerson reminds me of the way she stands there after shooting shots. This is going to scare everyone. Is Helen Housby? She doesn't look like it. She doesn't look like she's even noticed that she sunk the shot. And Housby's the same. She has that thousand yard stare afterwards. So that should scare everyone but lizzie watson was was good but actually i thought she wasn't as good as she was for the diamonds i know that's a controversial opinion that's gonna have the people after me but i thought she wasn't as effective this weekend because the wing defense players got under her skin a lot more than they did international level sunday palmy sliger uh ali smith you know there were a few players who got under her skin at different times and that's an interesting one because that's something that didn't we didn't see at international level, how she handled working through almost like a tag. I think, yeah, it was great to see her back on court, great to have her influence in the Vixens, and there, there was definitely patches where it was really, really good to watch. But you're right, there were players that got under her skin and that challenged her, um, which, you know, the 10-minute quarters that we were dealing with on the weekend a bit different does she outrun them in 15 minute quarters and lose that tag you don't like that that's something we'll have to wait till the season to see it requires a lot more effort to niggle someone for 60 minutes than it does for 40 minutes exactly so it'll be interesting to see how um and we also see a lot more rotation uh potentially if um aria like particularly the fever if Ariane and um, Stacey and there's a few others that can float through that wing defence position. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, against rotation, whether that's the same outcome. But, um, yeah, it was certainly interesting to see players get under her skin. We haven't seen it in a while. But I think the Vixens showed everyone that they are not going to be where they were in 2021, <laughs> that if you don't have them in your top four, you might want to reevaluate because I don't know who's going to be in the top four. I think... Whoever finishes fifth this season is probably, and you know, this is one we're going to take and clip and keep for October. <laughs> but 
But I think whoever finishes fifth is going to finish fifth on goal difference. I think it's going to be really tight this season for the top five. But I think the Vixens are going to be there in the top four. They just look like they've worked it out. Simone McInnes is back to her best. The players are there and it's clicking and that's a scary prospect. The scary prospect is that it isn't even their best seven that we saw because Kira yeah. Austin wasn't out there. And well, MJ. Kumwenda wasn't either. I mean, that was something <laughs> that obviously wasn't planned and we saw just how much that was a scramble because we had Emily Andrew drafted in um, to be the backup shooter on Friday and then on Saturday and Sunday, we had Kelly Stanton drafted in as the backup goal shooter, which I don't think anyone had on their bingo card for the weekend. We'd see <laughs> no Kelly Stanton in a Vixen's dress, but we did. Um, and it, I mean, that was the advantage of the home hometown cup that New South Wales didn't Definitely. have. I mean, they were stuck. They couldn't just find someone playing um, Premier League netball and just bring him in like the Vixen's could. But Barkmeyer and Samerson worked it out on court really well. And yeah, that should scare everyone. I think the funny thing about the Vixens as well was um, I think Kaylee said that it was either Twitter or Instagram that she was literally, because she works at Netball Victoria, she was ushering the crowd in on Friday night and then Saturday afternoon rolls around and she's in the Vixens dress. It's just how um, drastic um, things can change in 24 hours. Well, that's something we're going to talk about um, shortly because I think that that's going to have a massive impact this year. I think that's going to be something that we see um, throughout the year affects everyone. But um, I do think it was a fantastic weekend. And, you know, we're not done talking about it because there is going to be so much to talk about over the next few weeks. There definitely is going to be a lot more to talk about as we approach the season and how in the world these teams are going to handle it because, we did see COVID have a massive impact at the weekend. And to be honest, I don't know that the league was prepared for it. Oh, it, it wasn't. There is no way that you can say <laughs> it was prepared because if it had been prepared, the Swifts wouldn't have turned up the way they did. I mean, all credit to them that they played through the weekend with a positive attitude. But if that's a, like an, a round game and they turn up with Laura Tal as starting shooter and Ali Smith as the backup shooter... That's not a serious performance in the season. Their issue, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, is the double rounds happening in weeks and the uh, very tight schedule that they're on for the Com Games in July. So it's there's not a lot of room to postpone matches. Will we see forfeits? I... Would be really interesting. I would to see, like that. Personally. I would be interested to see what the rules say because we know that there was an issue with forfeits and the rules around forfeits last year. Um, yeah. And I am sure that someone over the year, over the offseason, looked at that and went, we should probably fix this clause so that we don't have another issue like this. Whether or not someone did is another, but someone should have. But you'd have to think that if players catch COVID just, you know, doing normal things, taking the regular precautions, you can't be penalising teams too significantly for that. And in a year as closely contested as this, forfeit rules are also going to matter around goal difference. I mean, mm -hmm. what the goal difference that you get from a forfeit is going to be big. It's going to matter, I think. Um, and I wouldn't want to be the one drafting those rules. But 
I say that if Netball Australia would like me to draft those rules, um, hit me up. I will happily have a go. <laughs> Um, I, think, I think this season the um, team that takes it out is going to be the team that combats COVID the best. Which is yeah. spot on, but it's going to be really disappointing if it's decided by forfeits and, you know, bad matches because they've got four training partners on court. I mean, we saw it last year. We saw that, I mean, the Swifts were one of the, and the Giants, but two of the teams were almost affected by COVID last year, it's fair to say. They're away from home for months. The Swifts had one weekend where they turned up without a coach and without a player. Um, the Giants also had issues with it. They were the two teams at the end of the season standing there. Um, mm-hmm. It's about how you handle it. Um, no one can prepare for it. It's just about how you roll with the punches. Let's hope. It's highly unlikely, but let's hope that um, we get all the COVID stuff out the way this side of the season, but I don't think that's going to happen, but um, a girl can dream. I still have a little bit too much confidence that um, they'll be part of the season to play after COP games. And I hope I'm wrong because that would be a disaster. And we know that was a disaster last time they tried to do it. But I think it's a very real possibility. I, by my math, it's about three rounds of delays and forfeits or cancellations that would force that hand. Add three is not very many, given what we saw over the weekend. And it's it's also like you're then eating into Diamond's time, which delays their preparation. Um, it doesn't isn't... give the players any rest. There isn't Diamond's time. There's about seven days between the final, yeah, grand true. final. And I mean, you true. don't have <laughs> Diamond's time, um, which is why I think that if you get to about three rounds, you're going to have to start thinking about pushing the fixture, not compressing it. Mm. it's also going to be really interesting to see how teams handle that two games in a week situation we've seen it through COVID we've seen them do it but it's if they have four players out for close contact during those weeks there's potential that they're missing two games um it's also a matter of backing it up we saw over the weekend there was fatigue especially the lightning um I was one of the teams that I was blown away by how much they fumbled on on the Sunday game versus the earlier games um there's going to be a different type of season and it, it does only happen a few rounds it's not every week that they're playing two games a week but it'll be interesting it'll be interesting but i think that that's a, a pretty full <laughs> recap of what we saw over the weekend at team girls um has been a pretty nuts start to the netball season and we'll be back i can't even think about how busy it's going to be once the season actually kicks off Yes, it's going to be very exciting though. Um, I'm certainly excited for it and I know you two are as well. So thank you for joining me, Dan and Ellie. We are over a third. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at over a third and you can find all of our netball stories on theedgeofthecrowd.com and that's also on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere <laughs> um, under the sun at Edge of the Crowd. Uh, our podcast is available on Spotify as you're probably listening to this or you might be watching us on YouTube so um, if you are give us a follow um, give us a like and we'll be back next week for plenty more uh, netball action and we might even chat about that box coverage because I've got some thoughts. Mm-hmm.